We got a season two. A season two. two. (laughs) We're still off. Terrible. (laughs) Hey, we're back. I know. Can you believe it? Another full season of awesomeness. We fooled them again. I'm Julie Foudy. She is Lynn Olzawi. Linio. What's up, Jules? How are you, Lynn? I'm good. Should we set the scene for yeah. where we're recording yeah, right we now? Yeah, should. It is... Tough slogging. Yeah, it's, we are about to start the ESPNW Summit in Newport Beach at a beautiful resort called Pelican Hill, and we are currently overlooking the Pacific Ocean mm. on a crystal from your, clear... From Lynn's villa. <laughs> Linio now demands a villa <laughs> with a full kitchen behind her. I don't even know you anymore. Oh. Lynn. Yeah, it's You've nice. lived the villa. This is so fun. You've lived the villa life. I have lived the villa life. You this... get your own room now at the actual resort. You're on property. Yeah. You're big time. It's it's really nice. Um, but we are pumped to be back with our Laughter Permitted podcasts. And maybe before we kick off season two with our amazing guest, we get asked a lot of questions on social media about, Lynn, do you want to set that stage? Yes, when we were done with season one, we got a lot of questions over this over the summer asking where we went, when we were coming back. So I thought you could explain why we're doing this in seasons. Because we don't want to work 52 weeks out of the year. I would when, do this 52 weeks out of the year, but you physically cannot. I cannot. My no. summers get crazy. Yeah. World Cups, Olympics, Euros, Little League World Series. No, when they first asked us, we said we'll do them in chunks. And typically summers I have to take off and really work because I don't really consider this work. This is so much fun. It's it is work. a lot of fun. So my real job actually starts over the summer where I'm actually, you know, I have to go to World Cups and Olympics <laughs> again. You worked hard. I mean, you, slogging. you worked for like, what, like 35 straight days at yeah. the World Cup. It's yeah. not like you were. In France. Ha! Do that. Try that. That is tough. Okay, so the other question we get all the time is, why is it called Laughter Permitted? Which we have said in season one, but if you didn't listen to every single episode of season one, you may have missed it. So we'll say it again. The short version of the story is, I was getting frustrated as I was noticing how intense everyone was with youth sports, the kids, the parents, it's a lot of pressure and intensity, and there's not a lot of celebration and joy and laughing on the sidelines. And so at our summer, Julie Foudy Sports Leadership Academies that we do every summer, one of the things we always talk to the kids about is, hey, sports are meant to be fun, laughter permitted. This is not the library or school or church, or you have to be quiet or silent. Like, let's be loud. Let's have fun. There should be laughter wherever we go. And so, Lynn, you were the one who said, one day when we have our podcast, (laughs) we are going to call it Laughter Permitted. It's a great motto to live by. And now we have season two. Season two. Boom. Yeah. All right. So now on to this podcast. Uh, We did this as a live podcast, and the great Women's Sports Foundation invited us in. They are amazing. Uh, As part of their full day, they spend with a lot of professional athletes. It's called their Athlete Leadership Connection. They do this the day preceding their big annual gala dinner, which is their annual fundraiser where they bring in women from all these different sports and all these different eras. It's a fabulous event. If you haven't been to this dinner, I highly recommend it and they were celebrating their 40th anniversary this year and the women's sports foundation was founded by the great billy jean king who is 
our podcast guest and my dear friend. So on to Billie Jean King, who really needs no intro, except for the fact that she won 39 Grand Slam titles. She is the first female athlete to get the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Barack Obama. She beat Bobby Riggs, you may remember, in the Battle of the Sexes in 1973. And if you weren't alive in 1973 to watch it, it's now in a movie. The very next year in 1974, she founded the Women's Sports Foundation. She has been named one of the, get this, 100 Most Important Americans bucket lister of the 20th century by Life Magazine. Lynn, we're going for that in the 21st century, baby. Yeah, we are. And you will hear us talk about it, but she was way ahead of her time as she and eight other women founded the first women's pro tennis tour by signing a $1 contract back in 1970. So get comfortable listening. It's the Kinger. All right, Fowdy Wowdy. Let's go, Let's baby. Let's do it. Let's do this. We got donuts for you. Not you enough energy eat. between us. You think? You guys want some donuts? Yeah. Hi, everybody out there in this podcast. I'm glad you're tuning in to Julie Girl here. <laughs> <laughs> Laughter can, permitted. Can we start with a little bit of background? I like to promote your show. Thank you. That's very nice. Thank you. Um, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background because uh, Billy and I go way back. I call her the Kinger. Uh, because she's pure royalty. And I will tell you, Billy, you might not even remember this story. Do you remember when we met? No. Women's Sports, wasn't it? Foundation? Or did we meet at the, uh, before that? There was a, we did meet at the Women's Sports Foundation. But then there was this all day gathering of a small, intimate gathering of female athletes, coaches. Where were we? Where, the, I think Spalding put it on. Oh, yeah, Spalding. I remember exactly. Yep. yep. And it was Spalding. It was at their headquarters. I remember exactly now. I don't know how I got invited, but I got invited. And I am sitting there listening to Billie Jean tell the history of women's tennis. And at the time, I had been fighting, we had been fighting U.S. soccer. Right? Yes, so we you were have. going through all these battles with US soccer. This is like the mid 1990s. Mm-hmm. And you're telling your story, and I'm like, oh my God, this is us. This is our story. Every sport will have the same story. Yes. Okay? It's just same story, different sport. It's the same. But you turned Almost. to me, Billy, and I said to you, <laughs> I remember this so well. I said to you, I remember this. Kinger. This is, this is our story. Like, this is our problem. We can't get them to change on anything. We can't get them to do anything. And you said, well, who are you going to? And I said, oh, well, we have a couple women inside the Federation who are trying to help us. And you looked at me and you said, Fowdy, <laughs> you have the power. <laughs> you get the players together. Let's go. And I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> And literally, I was flying home 
You, I don't even know if you know this story. That night, I was flying home, and it was like this epiphany. I'm flying, and I'm not. I'm actually not flying home. I'm flying to meet the national team, and we were signing contracts. Oh, that was timely. Timely. The exact same contracts that were like ten dollars a day. You should be happy that you're making ten dollars a day. Women are supposed to be so happy with the crumbs. We're supposed to be thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> we get the whole donut today. And I and I said to the team, listen. I just was with Billie Jean King. We are not signing this contract. <laughs> we are fighting for more money. We have the power. She said to us, we have the power. <laughs> and that was the start of our and battle. did they give you more? Yeah, because you know why? You went from $10 to what? Do you remember? 15 That's okay. It's no. a third better. No, we got a lot more. But what is so amazing about Billie is that day when I met her at Spalding, she didn't say, it's so hard, good luck, and then, like, wipe her hands and was done. She would check in every month with me, call me, and say, like, how's it going? What are you doing? How can I help? This went on for years. And so when people say, what was the biggest catalyst behind you guys seeking better support from our federation, I say three letters. B-J-K. I like that. I know, but you guys did it. It's, you're in the process of doing it. It's a better way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Constantly in the process. But mm-hmm. the World Cup this year was fantastic. Right. Rapino and the Buttes and Lloyd and all the guys were great. I'm going to rewind quite a bit. Can we hear the story of how you got your first tennis racket? Well, I went home after I played tennis with Susan Williams, who asked me to play. I played all team sports first. Basketball is my first love, and baseball, softball. I, I like all team sports. Except for soccer. No, I like soccer. It's just no hand-eye. I like hand-eye. God gave me great hand-eye coordination. My brother and, and, of course, my younger brother played 12 years of professional ball, uh, baseball. So we like to throw the ball, kick the ball, throw it. We like both. So anyway... Um, after hitting with Susan Williams at her country club, I went home and said, boy, I sure had fun. Um, and then our softball coach said, well, we give free instruction here. Now we're talking, because my dad was a firefighter, and we didn't. So anyway, I uh, went to my parents and said, geez, can, I, you know, can we get a racket for me? And my dad says, well, how are you going to do that? I says, what? I said, you're not going to buy me a racket? I should have known better, because he did the same thing with a baseball bat when I was four and five. Uh, he said, no, you have to... No, you got you figured out. So uh, I went to the neighbors and asked them for money, and they gave me ten cents, twenty. They made up jobs, pseudo jobs. It was great. And then I had eight dollars and twenty nine cents in this mason jar up in the cupboard, and I could not wait one more second. I go, we got to get the racket. We have to. Okay, okay. Took the eight dollars and twenty nine cents, went to Brown Sporting Goods in Long Beach, California, and got my first racket. And of course, I slept with it. You know, <laughs> I slept. Wait, I also slept with. $8, probably $8.29. My parents did not chime in with any money, so I had to come in under with tax under $8.29. So, so, um, so that was so exciting. And I, the first time I went out to play at Houghton Park with Clyde Walker at the end of that session, so it's the second time I've ever picked up a racket. How old are you? I'm now 11. And okay. I knew, I said, I told my mom when she came to get me, I go, Mom, I found what I'm going to do with my life. I want to be the number one tennis player in the world. And she goes, that's fine, dear, but you have homework and all this. And I'm going, Mom, you don't get it. And I was jumping up and down on the seat. This is it. I love this game. I love the sport. And um, 
And then I would sleep with with books, like on the history, like Doris Hart and uh, Althea Gibson was one of my favorite books. Um, she really changed my life because when I watched her play, I, I knew I could, if you could see it, you can be it. Yeah. Because she looked, you know, you say you want to be number one. What does that look like? You know, like, what does number one look like? Well, Althea was number one at the time when I was 13, and I went, wow. And then when I was 13, I had my epiphany about tennis. Everybody in tennis was, you know, white shoes, white socks, white clothes, white balls. I've told this story a thousand times, but I just said to myself, where's everybody else? Because everybody was white that was playing. I go, this, this is not good. White said, shoes, white clothes, white, clothes, white, white skin. balls, white skin, everything. I said, I said, so that was my 13-year-old epiphany, and that's when I promised myself I would fight for equality the rest of my life. Because I, I, I knew. At 13? Yeah. I know, I'm crazy, I know. I'm, my, At my brain never stops. What? At 13, you're thinking that way. Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with the 50s and... Little Rock Nine and, and people in the Southeast not being able to go to school because of your color. I remember asking my parents, I said, why can't that little girl who was African-American go to school with the, why can't she go to school? And my dad said, because she's a Negro, which was appropriate in those, it was a, it was a politically correct thing to say. I said, well, that's not right. It's just not right. It's like right. everyone should be able to go to school. It doesn't matter what color, what religion, it doesn't matter. So I was just very simple simple about it but i was very adamant about it like everyone should be able to get go to school and what who cares who you go to school with the poly high school where i went to in long beach is great you know when you walk in it says the home of scholars and champions and i always took that to heart and then as you walk under the buildings there's a saying up here it goes enter to learn go forth to serve and i just i bought into both of those scholars before champions, which I like, but also champion. I always think about champions in life. I don't just think about athletic champions. Go back to you're 11 years old. You've picked up a tennis racket for the first time, and what I heard in here is the first thing you go to is mom. Which I'm going to be number one in this sport. That is amazing. No, I want to be. Yes. Everybody says I say I am. I said I want to be. Mm. Big difference because it's a very scary statement, very actually. You know, when you're 11, you say it, you get all excited. But by the time you reach 15 and 16, you're going, oh, did it, why did I say that? No, no it's scary because you don't know if you're going to achieve your goals or not. It's scary. Yeah, but at 11, you're saying it out loud. You're yeah, not that's just what I want. dreaming it. You're singing it. Yeah. Got to dream it. Build it. Billy, what was it about tennis that just... Oh, you get to hit a lot of balls in a short period of time. You get to run. You get to jump. Are you kidding? Oh, I love it. Because you have to move. You have to use all of yourself to play tennis. You know, running. I like running in different directions. I like reacting to the ball. I like the extension. I like the math. Of course, all sports are math. Everything is more. It's math, music, everything. And so it's like, oh, my God, I just love it. And then when I could run, I could feel the wind in my hair. You know, those are just magical moments to just and there's nothing like when you strike the ball mm. i'm sure it's in soccer when you hit, kick it just right maybe huh yeah when you kick the goal or yeah. uh, whatever you, you'd have to explain i don't that. really <laughs> <laughs> you're a midfielder myself, i know you're a midfielder <laughs> i was a midfielder in soccer in, in junior in middle school what you did play soccer yeah long beach had soccer <laughs> i liked it a lot we played speed ball which is all time because you can hit it up and catch it and then you can drop kick for three points one point goal three points if you hit it over the football I oh that's a great i don't think i've ever heard of speed ball. oh it was great 
Loved it. All right, let's let's fast forward to from your youth to 1967. You're at Wimbledon. You've won the singles title. You've won the doubles title. And you've won the mixed doubles title in that year. That doesn't happen very often. Do do you remember this? Yes, I remember. (laughs) I can remember 67. A triple crown at Wimbledon. That one was pretty nice. what was the purse you took home for that? Oh, we were still amateurs. We're still getting $14 a day. And they did give us a gift voucher, though, for 45 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> the, very, the, just the very next year, we finally had what we call open tennis. But what they should really call it is we had pro tennis. And that's when we finally got a check. I just looked up my prize money the other day. I didn't make $2 million and I retired at 40 and I know for some of you in sports that aren't even, they're struggling, you think, God, I'll take that. Um, but I looked up, then I thought, I'm going to look up Serena. <laughs> I think this will be fun. What do you think she's at? She's at nine, she hasn't, she hasn't finished yet either. This is just official prize money, not endorsements. She's at 92 million plus. Wow. So I wasn't quite at two. She's at 92 million, but that's, we're going to be, women's professional tennis will be 50 years old next year, uh, as you know it today, from the WTA tour and all that. But there were nine of us that started it uh, with a $1 contract with Glass, and we're willing to never play again to make something happen for the future generations. And there's three things. If any girl born in the world, if she's good enough, will be, be able to have a place to compete. Number two, She'll be appreciated for her accomplishments, not only her looks, not only her looks, and also the third one, to be able to make a living. Yeah. Not a, not a, you know, you have beer leagues for a lot of sports, you know, you go play, but you have real jobs. Besides, that's what tennis was years and years ago, but no, I want to, we want to be able to make a living. And of course, when you hear the very top player at 92 million, now there's journey players that really has a hard time. There's, let's not kid ourselves, but... We at least have this um, opportunity for kids who want to play tennis. And, and we, I want this for everyone. I want every single athlete. Right. I don't care what sport you're in. I want every, yeah. every athlete to have the dream. Everyone. Paralympians, Olympians. I don't care what sport you're in. I want you to have the dream like I've been able to experience. There's nothing like it to be able to truly devote your life when you're young um, to your sport and to make a living. There is nothing like it, and it's what I want for every athlete. You, let's unpack that a little bit, because you, you quickly said you signed your $1 contracts. Now, this is the story I heard that first day that where I went, oh, my gosh. Yeah, Talk totally. about the power within if you come together. There was together. only nine of us. So we we're give, willing. We we're willing. Give us that story, if you will. Because well, okay, not enough not, athletes uh, uh, and, and just humans have heard this okay, story. Okay, 1968, we started getting paid. But the men were getting paid a lot more than us right off the bat, which got me crazy. Rod Laver got 2,000 pounds. I got 750 pounds for winning 1968 Wimbledon. So I went, oh, great. Now we have another challenge. Also, the men were squeezing us out. My former husband, Larry King, uh, not that one, but he, <laughs> he, he, Larry said when, when tennis goes professional that the men will, kick, will squeeze you out. He said, mm-hmm. use the word squeeze you out. He was correct. And I said, no, they're my friends. I love these guys. I go to dinner with them. We hang out. He says, they will squeeze you out. The Old Boy Network will squeeze you out. He was correct. So by 1970, we were having less, less and less opportunities. So the nine of us, when we signed this $1 contract, our job was to stick together. Stick together no matter how bad it got. 
if we never get to play Wimbledon, we never get to play the U.S., we win in knowing that's the way it might be. You're way ahead of your time with this. So how did you get these nine women to believe this was possible? Well, Rosa Casales was important, Nancy Ritchie. We went to a few that we thought. We tried to, I, I always ask the players to analyze who they think they have the most influence over. And I used to always say to each player, you have two people, who do you think? Each person was responsible for two people. And that's how we, we kind of lobby. You know, you're hanging out in locker rooms all the time, right? Before, before game matches, games, whatever sport you're in. Yeah, that's when you do it. You get it done when you have everybody in there. And they're not, they're not going to leave either because they have to play. So um, we really convinced them. And it was really quick. Um, we got lucky. Um, but the women's hockey players now, the ice hockey players, have Course. formed their association. Yeah. So I, that now they have one voice. And that's the beginning. Oh, is Kendall here? Megan's here. Megan's here? Yeah. Great. Well, then it's a start. Team sports are harder because the expenses go up very quickly. Yeah. Like if you want to just give each player $1,000, for instance, at 80, just do the numbers. It's 80 grand you got to come up with like that. And that's only 1000 each, right? So you got to know the business. And that's another thing the players, um, Larry and I ended up owning tournaments. And, and when you understand the business that you're in, this is a business you're in, not just a sport. If you want it to go professional, then you've got to understand the other side, the people who take the risk to put the money up. Yeah. I mean, um, so it's I think it's really important. But I think I'm really excited about ice hockey now. It's next. Soccer's on its way. But we're still not where we need to be. But we're- this is my point. People obviously know you from the tennis world. But what we have always loved about you is that your willingness to help all. Well, that's right. why the Women's Sports Foundation. That's yeah. the whole point. Yeah. One of the points was to get all of you together so you can network for each other and help each other. And also to protect Title IX because it's always in jeopardy. This idea of, and the fact that you were able to rally these nine women to, to do what you did, right? We did it together. Yeah. I always think of us. I and mean, you always said to me, you have to stay unified, right? If you don't stay unified, you're going to blow it. And yeah. yet you're going to get anxious. You know, you get anxious. Nothing always ever goes fast enough. I think everyone's so frustrated because so many generations have gone by. But no matter what our sport, it's so many generations have gone by. There's so much frustration. So there was a point in the 99 World Cup when (laughs) (laughs) one of my favorite stories again, uh, we... We felt the need to go big and go big stadiums. And FIFA was like, you're crazy. You should keep it small. You should stay on the, you know, I remember stay that. You did your coast. exhibitions. And- yeah, but no, we were like, no, no if you're going to host a World Cup, we're going to go huge. Yeah. And we ended up getting that. And we were hosting. It was 99. It was amazing. It was before the, the tournament. And I said to you, <laughs> it's my favorite story. Billy, there's so much pressure for this group to win because if we don't win this tournament could flop and we're in these huge stadiums and we had to convince them to go into these huge stadiums and what if no one shows up and what if this and what if this and it's so much pressure and you looked at me like cross-eyed and you said Fowdy again Fowdy (laughs) pressure is a privilege (laughs) and I was like yeah. So where did the pressures of privilege come from? The tell, I was helping uh, Lindsay Davenport at Fed Cup. Fed Cup is international team play for women. We're playing against Spain, and she's getting frustrated. She has to play Arancha Sanchez-Vacario, who is a really great player, number, former number one in the world, too. 
And Spain was always our Achilles heel. They just, oh, God, they're tough. They had two A-plus players. That just about killed us. <laughs> so anyway, um, but we did too. So I kept telling him, so do we. So Lindsay's just getting totally frustrated, and I just finally looked at her, and I go, Lindsay, pressures to privilege and champions adjust. And she goes, and I never thought of these things at all. It just blurted out. But it worked. She went, I like that. That's good. Okay. All right. It was in Vegas. I'll never forget we're in Vegas on the court. And she won. She played great. Is that how you said it? Yeah. When you talk to me, it's like, Fowdy, let's go. No, no, it depends on the person. Oh. Oh, you're so high energy. I can do anything with you. Oh, no, no, no. Fowdy. No, no, no. With somebody else, absolutely the opposite. I like to coach by asking questions. Mm. Like, what's your strength? What are you really good at, Julie, when you played? When like, what's your strength? What's your strength? Oh. Besides, you're the heart and soul of the team. That's that's a whole other discussion. But just a, as a player. I had a good engine. What do you mean a good engine? Like I could run. Forever. And ever. There you go. So just use it. Know your strength. All great players. Couldn't kick a ball. Couldn't score. But really? I could run. Well, you had to kick a little. You had to advance it. Didn't you have to advance it down the... Minor detail. Did they just leave you over there running back and forth and you didn't touch the ball? Let her buzz around. She's got good vocal cords and she runs. I remember you coaching coaching against Brazil. Okay, I'm watching it. I cannot hear what you're saying, but I know what you're saying. They were young and they were... In, you know, near, you're getting Olympics, near the end the Olympics, yeah. and they were they were exhausted. You were exhausted. Yeah. They were not. They're younger. Yeah. But you told the team, these guys are exhausted. We can beat them. So you turned it. You said they're exhausted. Yeah. We can do this. And, and we then, were the old ones. And you guys were the old ones. <laughs> and they bought into it. And because yeah. I asked you, I said, "Did you say?" That? And he said, "Yeah, I did." They bought into it. You couldn't believe the energy that our team had, even though they're the older ones after that. They thought the you convinced them somehow. I don't know how this, that Brazil was tired. They weren't tired. This is the, <laughs> didn't matter. The team thought they were. This is the final of our last Olympics. Yes, Mia and I it were was done. major. So it, it was me thinking. It, this if we is lose it, baby. this match, I'm going to be a bitch for the rest of my life. Right. I do not want to lose this match. I actually told my husband that. I'm like, you do not want me to lose this match. No, so because you do know those memories are going to matter. Yeah. As the OG of Equal Pay. <laughs> I love it. Where and with your finger on so many of these pulses with different sports and, and not just sports, but, you know, there's obviously equal pay issues in so many different sides. No, and corporations exactly. we're working on really hard. In different industries. It seems like we're at a moment in time right now with everything going on. Where do you think we are in terms of equal pay and how close? You mean women? Yes. Oh, God, we got so far to go. Don't even get me started. <laughs> but, you know, sports are microcosm of that. How are women's sports going? Tells you how the world's going. It's not great. No. And people hate change. Have you ever thought about, I've always wanted this to happen, but I know it can't happen, but I like every woman who has a job not to work one day, all of us together the same day. And I always imagined what would the world look like that day? Nothing would happen. That's what would happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like a woman. But I don't want the, any of these women need their jobs. They, a lot of them are single mothers. And like we have to work, you know, over a year and a half, like a year and a half to make what a guy makes in one year. We have got to start asking for 
raises. Women have a ten, you know, we're taught to be perfect and boys are taught to be brave. And women tend to think we're never good enough at whatever we do. Mm-hmm. So here's what happens on a job application. There's 10 things. A guy reads it, he goes, I can do five of those and I'll just, I'll bluff the other five. I'm going to get this job. Here's a, here's a woman or a girl. I can do nine of those really, really well, but I can't do that 10th one. I don't know if I should even try for this mm-hmm. job. Just go for it. Mm-hmm. It's like, you guys, you got nothing to lose. You may not get the job, but you're certainly not going to get the job if you don't apply. Mm-hmm. So you have to do that. And that's where sports is unbelievable for women and girls because we learn those traits. We learn how to go for it. We learn how to believe in ourselves. We learn to trust our bodies. We learn all the things that guys have always known through their sports and the way they uh, network. And women have to network. And if I hear one more time that women don't get along... We let's just say we're not having a let's just say we're not getting along, okay? Let's just say we're in a little circle here. We're not getting along. It's up to someone to step up and lead and say, Stop. I've done that before when I was younger. I go, Stop. Do you hear us? Do you hear us arguing? Why are we doing this? And everybody kinda goes, Oh, oh. I said, We're not gonna do this anymore. We are gonna get along. And if we keep telling each other we're gonna get along, we will. We have to have great expectations for each other and be good to each other and be kind to each other. And we should be kind and good anyway to everyone, but to ourselves particularly and to other women because we have to stick together. We need to be just like the old boy network. I never thought this. I always want us to network by people and not by gender, but I am, we're going to have to do it by gender. If we don't step up, nobody else is going to step up for us. And we have to do that. <laughs> we have to. I think I, I, we were out to dinner one night, and I said to you, because, you know, Billy, as you can see with Billy, you know, operates at 100 miles per hour all the time, right? Like, the energy of this woman is... I actually get quiet. ...is amazing. And I said to Billy, do you sleep at night? And Alana said to me... (laughs) I don't know what she said. Billy, she gets excited to go to sleep because she can't wait for tomorrow and what she's going to do. That's true. That's true. I was like, how, Billy, how do you sustain it? I sleep great. (laughs) No, you you just sleep hard. It's great. No, life is very exciting to me. It always has been since I've been a baby. Do you, I, I, I'm not kidding. I can't remember. I just got lucky. But do you ever go, God, I just, I just would like a cool drink on a beach somewhere and not have to talk to anyone? Oh, sure. I, don't, I like quite solitude, yeah. A lot. I like being by myself. That's, but unfortunately, that's that when time, time that, unfortunately, that's when you think of things, though, because you have solid, solitude is when your mind is free to think up new dreams um, or, or to keep working on the dream you're working on. Like right now, I've got hockey on my brain about 99% of every day, in and out all day, because we've got to make this work. Billy, I had the chance to see you speak a few years ago, and you mentioned that there are three things that you like to impart on people. I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could share those with us today. Those are um, observations that Ed Woolard and I, a friend of mine, he used to be the uh, former CEO of DuPont, huge company, but he has a 
amazing, he has amazing ethics and everything. But we're always, we like to talk about what makes people tick and what do you observe in leaders and winners and, you know, what do we notice in people who seem to have inner, this is my, I like to call inner success and outer success. Not just outer success. Everything today is about money. You know, outer success. Oh, the billionaire walks in and we all go, oh, well. It's like, but what kind of person is he or she? I mean, come on. Or they. And so um, we came up with these three. Relationships are everything. Keep learning and keep learning how to learn. Mm. And be a problem solver. And I think I'm going to have to change the third one eventually. Because I think there should be creativity or something else in there maybe. People have to conceptually think things up and see it and then go make it happen. That's what we did in tennis. That's why I did in tennis. That's, That's what you done in everything. I just used to take a tennis ball and sit in the library and think about how I wanted tennis to look. <laughs> With your tennis ball, you'd hold yeah, it? And, and then I'd just leave it on, on the table and just look at it and go, how do I want to... <laughs> see, I wanted, the men and, I wanted the men and women to be together, to have one union, to one association, yeah. but they rejected us. So the nine of us were, is plan B. It's not plan A for me. Ah. That was plan B. But we solved the problem. Did it go according to what I would have loved, the way I saw it? No, it didn't. But that's why you have to adjust. Champions adjust all the time. I mean champions in life. I don't mean athletic champions. Champions in life. As a social advocate for so many years, as an equal rights advocate, and uh, in all the issues you have fought, where do you think we are right now? I always think women's sports are such a microcosm of society in so many ways, constantly. If we ever get it right, it means the world's pretty much right, I think. We have a unique platform, being an athlete, a lot of people don't have, that we need to constantly use it every single day, like a drip, like this, just every day. What advice would you give, not just this room, but consider this is going out to a big bandwidth of listeners? Everyone's blessed with something special. Just figure out what your blessing is or blessings, your strengths, like you do as a jock. When you're, all, you know, when you're out there, you know what your strengths are because that's what great champions have. They always practice their strengths. Everyone always talks about practicing what you're not as good at, but great champions every day practice their strength. So that never drops because that's what's going to make allow you to win something. Uh, and then obviously work on the other part. But I think you need to really listen to your heart and mind and believe in yourselves. Look around you. Ask for help. Ask for what you want to need. Girls are taught not to. You step up. You ask people. You say, I need your help. I need to talk to you. I need to run something by you um, or whatever. And go ahead and ask for it. Um, ask for what you want and need. I think it's really important for women. And believe in yourselves. And do not be happy with the crumbs. We are supposed to be happy with the crumbs. We want the cake, the icing, the cherry on top, and really know we're going to get there. I think each of you have to decide what you think is going to make you go. Each one of us is different. I'm a perfectionist, so it's a strength and weakness. But I know it's a weakness as well. And so that's it. I have to deal with it. Unfortunately, others have to as well, which is the unfortunate thing. No, it is. It's tough because I'm tough. I am. I'm tough on myself, but I'm tough on others sometimes. How competitive are you still, Billy? Because we've got a game. That's I'm coming. not competitive, actually. Oh, boom. I'm going to win then. Let's go. <laughs> I'm not. It, it depends. I'm a bee a salesman person. 
I can only sell or get really into it if I got to be really caring. If I don't care, like cards, or that, I don't care. You guys oh, go seriously. Play. Seriously, I can. I can tell you're I like this like, on everything. Yeah, you're I like a like crusher. Trash. I know you'll kill me. I know I'm not like that. Do not play spoons with me. Do you play spoons? Uh-uh. Oh, is that the What's best that? game ever? Oh, you you sit in a circle. Is that where you put it on your? No, no. <laughs> I love that. You sit in a circle and you have a deck of cards that pass around, but you have a spoon, so you're at a table usually, and you yeah. have one less spoon than there are people. Uh. You get four of a kind. Is it four of a kind? Four. Yeah. yeah, four of a kind. You grab a spoon. You try and do it very like quietly. Get rid of all the spoons. Yeah. Huh? Okay. And quietly. Then, and then everyone, when you see a spoon is gone, you get in. <laughs> and the last person without a spoon is okay. out. Okay. Okay. And then you keep taking away a spoon. I'd be fa- really? very happy to go out. We can <laughs> terrible. Together. Oh, you Let's kill me. You can have them. I mean, Next. I like Let's go figure out how to fix something. Food. No, I want to go. Let's go figure out how to deal with something like. Big picture. So Lynn, Lynn always comes up with a competitive game just for my for you. competitive needs. The title of this game, since we have two of the best here with us today, is The Battle of the Bestest. Oh. One is of your name Bobby or what? <laughs> I know. One of the rules to this game, we've developed, we sort of workshop rules with every time we play this game because everyone likes to make amendments to the game. The main rule is that you have to squeak in with an answer. I'm going to ask each of you questions. So, Billy, since you are a guest, you get to decide if you would like to squeak in with the fuzzy giraffe or the little elephant. Elephant. Okay. That was a good call because it's fast They're so little smarties, too. They're so smart. If you've ever been on a safari, you see them. They're so sweet with their kids. They are. They're so pretty. Do yours. And then this one. All right, what are we doing anyway? I don't know what we're doing. I'm going to ask you questions. You have to squeak in with a response. The first do you squeak, squeak at in. the same time or not? Or do you say it and squeak it? you think you know it. it. Okay, so here's the guy. Do you want to give the Julie Ertz Amendment quickly? So it first started that Christine Lilly would squeak, would squeak in when Linda would say, what? And then Lilly would squeak. And she hasn't Lily? heard any of the question. Christine Lilly, yeah. The header. Yeah. yeah. No, the that header. Line. 99. She yeah. saved you guys. Oh, no, know you know. owe her big. I kissed that forehead a lot. <laughs> I remember I that. that. I jumped up. I had to. Then, uh, then Oh, the my Julie, God. I jumped up. That was the turning point. <laughs> the Sorry. The Ertz Amendment was if you squeak in too soon, right? Then you lose then, right? Then she has to stop reading the question. And you have to answer it? And you have to answer it. Oh, I'm... I'm, And then if you miss, then it goes to me. Okay, Battle of the Bestest. These are questions about women who are the best in their field. She was the first American woman to fly in space. Sally Ryan. Yes! Um, I know her. I knew her. (laughs) I knew Sally. Sally wanted to be a professional uh, tennis player before she became an astronaut, FYI. Did she? Yes, I saw I just give a little story with each thing here. Yeah, go ahead. You can. Yo, yes, Sally actually took, uh, she was at Swarthmore, and Swarthmore in uh, Philly, took off a year, practiced, came to me and said, because she asked me, do you think I should try? I said, no, don't have any regrets. Then she says, she comes back and she goes, I have a horrible forehand, and um, I'm never, I don't think I can make top 10, and if I can't be near the top, I'm not interested. So next thing I know, she's a camp counselor at our tennis camp, and she's going, I go, what are you majoring in at Stanford? And she goes, astrophysics. I'm going, you have to understand this is 1970. Astro what? I mean, like, what? Is that like astronomy? She's kind of, I'm thinking, well, it kind of was. She went up and to the moon. So anyway, Sally, Sally Sally's amazing. She's amazing. I met Sally Ride. Sally Ride. Billy won, Julie Donut. 
After, here's the next question. After playing basketball at UCLA. Annie Myers. Oh, come on! Is that right? Was I right? Was I right? Was I right? Yes! Listen, so it's reflexes that, and net, the baby. The woman is not competitive. She's like, Annie Myers! She she can't finish the question, though, but I knew. UCLA. First scholarship to UCLA. See, Title IX. Bing to the boom. Got to know your history. Why do you know your history? Because you know more about yourself. And what does that help you do? Shape the future. Come on. Give me the ball. Anymore. <laughs> Boy, you're making a liar out of me now. With this game, I look at you. I gotta beat Julie. I'm gonna win this one. Okay. This woman holds the record for the most Academy Award nominations of any actor. <laughs> I think I know, but go ahead. This Julie? is yours, Julie. I, I, I'm not certain, but I'm going Meryl Streep. Correct. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh. Yes. Yes. What's the count at? Two, I don't care. These were okay. fun. Just fun to no, try to. No, I. No, I think it's fun to try to figure it out. I care, Billy. Okay, you care. Two to one, you. You're winning. You should care. This track and field star is considered one of the great all-time greatest athletes having competed. Wilma Rudolph. I don't know. I'm probably wrong. I'm going way back. <laughs> I'm going way back. And I know we're on the air. Incorrect. No. Yeah, keep going. Okay, go ahead. Keep having going. competed in the heptathlon and won. Jackie, join the cursing. That was my next one. Okay, here's here's of the tiebreaker. Oh, tiebreaker. Of course it's Jackie. I love her. East St. Louis, go girl. You went Foundation. old school, Wilma. That was a good one. Okay, this is a tiebreaker. This is for everything. She's not competitive. Pressure's on. I love it. Give me the ball. <laughs> Pressure is a privilege, Fowdy. <laughs> this tennis star famously beat Bobby Riggs. Ah! <laughs> No, Fowdy let me. Fowdy knew it already. Fowdy's a good sport. She let me win that. Thank you so much for knowing that I played a match. Thank you. And I, I would like to finish the question on this one. Oh no, maybe I maybe I didn't get it. Television audience of ninety million viewers. That was a lot. That's why it was big. We got the exposure throughout the world. That was a huge turning point because Title IX had just been passed the year before in 1972. You guys, please know your history. I'm telling you to help you shape your future. Please. And also, you stand on those shoulders. Like, I stand on a lot of people's shoulders for me, too. I mean, every generation. But really do that. But this match was huge. And um, I, women got a lot of self-confidence from it. But what happened with men uh, is that they, as they grew up, they had daughters. And I can't tell you how many men have come up to me with tears in their eyes and saying, oh, my God, I never knew how that match was going to shape my thought process mm. and how I look at my sons and my daughters or my children. In fact, President Obama, when I met him, I first met him in the Oval Office. I'm like, hey, hey, hey. hi, hi. <laughs> it's, an, it's his first. It's, you have to remember it was early when he, his hair hadn't gone gray yet. It was all beautiful and dark. <laughs> And he said, I was 12 years old when I watched that match. Oh, and now I have two daughters. And she, he said, that really helped shape how I raised my daughters. And I also used to watch you at Punahou when you lived in Hawaii. 
at the high school. He went to Punahou, Punahou High School. It's a prep school. It's a great school. And I used to practice there. I said, I remember you, and I wish you had asked me to hit. I would have hit with you because he played tennis before basketball. That match had a huge influence. It was a huge turning point because women started to ask for raises. They've been waiting 10 years to ask for a raise, a lot of women told me. Like, oh, I waited five years. I've waited 10 years. And that after that match, the very next day, I went in, in and I asked for a raise. Yeah. I said, more importantly, did you get it? And they said, yes. Invariably, it's been, it was a yes from their bosses. Yeah. You we just have never to asked. ask. Yeah, we never ask. Yeah. We never ask. We never ask. Study they, after study shows that. Boys will walk in and say, I would like you to give me more responsibility. And what that means is I want more money and I want a better title. Okay? But he always comes, I want more responsibilities. How he says, it. we've owned companies and Ilana and I have always noticed the guys always coming in and asking for a raise. The girls never do. In fact, she's had to kind of yell at the women saying, uh, hello, are you ever going to ask for a raise? Hello. It's amazing how we're socialized, isn't it? All right. Real quickly. Uh-oh. Most pressing More? questions and oh, then high-low cheer. There's so much pressure up here. <laughs> most pressing questions. How many things do you have named after you, Kinger? We've got... USTA, I don't, I don't Billy Jean King Tennis Center, <laughs> Long Beach Tennis Center, most recently, the library, yes. the main library, Long Beach Library. They have 12 branches in Long Beach. Oh yeah. my God, this library is just beautiful. Favorite Wimbledon tradition? Tradition? Mm-hmm. Well, everyone usually says the strawberries, mm-hmm. but um, I just like walking in there and looking at it. Just love it. I love the atmosphere. I love the flowers. I love the sky. I love. I just love everything about it. I just walk in. I was always the first player there, last to leave every night. Just loved it. Our last segment, it's called High, Low, Cheer. Billy, this is what I do around the dinner table with my kids. They're high of the day. They're low of the day. That's good. And someone they cheer for. Okay, go ahead. So, no, it's you. What? <laughs> what, my high point? Yes, a high of your career. I'm not done yet, so I don't know. Oh, I love it. Good high. answer. I'm not done. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Hi, what do you mean? Let's go. I said let's go. God, that's, that's a, that was easy. I'm not done yet. Okay, what's the next one again? Uh, I love that. What's the next one? So you. Low. Low? Of the low career. was probably 1981 when I was outed. Um, I lost all my endorsements in mm. 24 hours. Um, it was a rough time. I, pr- I did not get comfortable in my own skin until I was 51. Uh, I have an eating disorder. I went to Renfrew in Philadelphia, stayed there for six weeks. Lived with, I was the oldest one there at 50 or 51. And I always sit across from, from uh, I'm a binge eater. And I don't, I'm not bulimic, so I get fat. Um, and so I sit across from anorexia nervosa kids a lot so here we are we all have the same issues but we just manifest it differently there's binge eaters bulimics there's anorexia nervosa there's different ways um and that was a low point but a really important point to go through that process and figure things out Uh, but i knew that i never wanted future I can't imagine what people had to go through before me. And then I, for the future generations, I did not want them to lose things like your sponsorships or everything overnight and be called a slut and be called horrible things. Uh, I always wanted them to be celebrated in the future, which 
when an athlete comes out now, um, everyone celebrates. I mean, Jason Collins came out, and he's got a job with the NBA. The president calls him and congratulates him. And I'm think, thinking, thank you, God, because I would never, and I know people had to go through it um, before me. They still go through it depending upon where they live, what country, what religion. Mm-hmm. But the LGBTQ um, plus community is very important to me. But it's just every person should be able to be their authentic self. Like we've got more and more children coming out as transgenders now because they're identifying. They've always known it, but now they'll speak about it. Like at four and five years old, they knew they know I, that they were born in a boy's body, but they know they want to be a girl or vice versa. And, and people are starting to accept it. I've met so many families now that that's happened to. Uh, so I just think we need to, each person should be able to be their authentic self mm. in this world. Yeah. And especially at work, too, because they do better at work. They've done all kinds of studies now. When you can be your authentic self at work, um, you're just much more productive. So I would say that that was my tough time because to be rejected and to lose everything. And I was near my retirement, so I was finally going to make some real mm. money. Yeah. And I had like um, long-term contracts with different companies. They just dropped me like just like that. And just In said, 24 hours. Oh, yeah, just gone. Gone. So you have to, it's like starting your life over. But through all that, I think it's enriched my life too to have had to deal with that pain. And everyone has pain. It's just, you know, it's the way it is. All right, your cheer. Someone. Go for it. I don't know. Something like that. What? (laughs) Come on. No. What are you talking about, my cheer? What are you talking about? (laughs) You said cheer. Let's go. Go for it. (laughs) What do you mean? Jeez Louise. How long are these podcasts? (laughs) And I'm in the middle of writing a book. I've got no book to sell now. I love it. Someone or something you cheer for that you're grateful for in your career. Grateful in my career? Yes. Like I'm trying to get think the of people. It I'm trying to get- it's relationships. Thank you. Always. It's always the people that make the difference. Always. Specifically, anyone? Well, or Lana. Just- my God, Lana's made my life. <laughs> I mean, oh, this month we're celebrating 40 years. Being gonna boom. Probably we're going to go to South Africa with friends. She's been dying to go back because she's South African, so we're going to go and have a great time. And she loves safari. She loves animals. I'm looking at these little these these crack me up. I thought about our safari that's coming up. If you really want to know, Alana, you can't have my elephant. Oh, I love elephants, and I and I love giraffes, and I love I love all. They're really pretty, but I don't like to see them get hurt, so I don't go on the safaris anymore. I can't stand it when they get hurt. I just. I know it's balance in nature. I can rationalize Circle it, but emotionally, I can't handle it. Yeah, where's Elton? Yeah, but oh my god, he's coming out with the book. Jeez, Louise! And yeah. get on, get writing, sister. Moving. I know you've been writing. I know it's coming. It takes time. It takes time. You got it. I don't write that well. I have a lot, to, a lot of help. See, it's the people that make my life. Yeah. Well, you have made our lives, and I know I speak for this entire room when we say. Thank you. Thank you. You go. Believe. Uh, she has made our lives so much better. And, and we always do takeaways, of course, after we sit down with a guest. Um, and my takeaway, Lynn, is that 
Billy is always willing. I said it at the top, but she's always willing to give of herself to make the world better. She used to say to us and say to me during our negotiations with U.S. soccer, Fowdy, you have to go in with goals. It's a blank canvas. You know, it's not about what you get out of it. It's what the next generation gets out of it. And think about them. What's going to make it better for them? You have to think that way. And so whenever we'd go into contract negotiations, I'd be like, ah, not good enough. Not good enough in this area, in this area, in this area for the next generation. Because that was what she taught us. Wow. And she does that with everyone. And it amazes me at 75, the amount of energy she can put into life still on a daily basis, whereas Ilana Kloss, her fabulous partner, former CEO and commissioner of World Team Tennis, she played professionally as well. She's from South Africa, as she mentioned at the end, said to me, she goes to bed excited about tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, that level of energy to me, I bow to her because I, I feel like I'm high energy and there gets to a point where I'm like, I just want that margarita on a beach. Stay away. <laughs> My takeaway is that I feel empowered after listening to Billy and I afterwards I thought of areas in my life where I could sort of step it up as far as advocating for myself mm. so she gave me a bit of a push yeah she does that <laughs> go ask for more go into your boss yeah. right like that kind of stuff mm -hmm. know that you know your history uh, another segment we do is questions permitted uh, so that you could write in. We love to hear questions. And so, Lynn, I don't, I don't know what the questions are yet. I've got a couple of good ones. Oh. The first one is from at Pierce13Meg, and she actually reached out to me directly with this one. Oh, nice, Meg. She said, as a laughter-permitted junkie, I want to hear about your background. How did you and Foudy meet? What is your educational career background. Aww. So basically, Julie, it's not all about you. <laughs> That's right. Laughter permitted with Lynn Ozawi. A little bit about myself. I graduated from Notre Dame with a degree in English. I have my master's in broadcast journalism from Northwestern. I worked in local news as a one-man band reporter and producer and have been... In Ohio. O-H-I-O. You got it. And I've been back with ESPN for about five years. And Julie and I got connected through ESPNW. We first met at, do you remember when? Mm -hmm. X Games. X Games, mm -hmm. Aspen. I produced a feature you were doing there. Mm -hmm. And this leads into question number two. Mm. This one comes from at Smallish Sam. She asks, first impressions of each other. <laughs> Lynn laughed at my jokes. <laughs> I was going to say, you laughed at my jokes. And I knew I liked her. I was like, yes. I will never uh. forget after our shoot in Aspen, we had a beverage afterwards. <laughs> beverage me? No. And at one point you said to me, you're funny. And I about <laughs> fell out of my chair thinking Julie Foudy just said I was funny. <laughs> that was the booze talking. <laughs> I will say I think a big key to our relationship is that both of us like to laugh and both of us will laugh at each other's jokes. We're professional laughers. Like what's I mean, what's not to love about laughing? Yeah. When Declan tells me that, my ten year old, when he tells me, Mom, he gets like annoyed. You're a professional laugher. <laughs> Like, what is wrong with me laughing at things? I like to laugh, okay? And this, it's far too easy. 
<laughs> well, Declan is funny. Like he, he is he's funny. a funny kid, as is your daughter Izzy. Uh, and I think that has been a key to our our friendship, our working relationship, is that no matter what, we can always just yeah. make each other laugh. You want a podcast on the pot? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect example. No problem. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. It's fun to be able to get to do with do this with you. Unfortunately, Mia Ham wasn't available, so <laughs> stuck with you, Mariel. Thank you for letting me do this, for making me do this. Really, all right. That does it for us with questions permitted. We want to hear from you, though, so let us know your takeaways, questions, feedback. Hit us up on social media. I'm at Julie Foudy on Twitter. And Instagram, hashtag it, laughter permitted. Lynn feels like she's made a real breakthrough on Twitter. What are you now at, Lynn? 753 followers. 753 followers. Let's get her to 1,000 people. We love all the comments. We read them all. So we are very grateful for our dopest of villages. As we close the show, a big thanks to Kate Diaz, a Julie Foudy Sports Leadership Academy alum, for our awesome theme music, which she literally wrote and composed in one week because she's that rad. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate the podcast. Every subscriber counts. And as always, kids, sing it with us. Laughter permitted. Pressure is a privilege.